0: Hi, I'm Peter J. Ray. Welcome to Adventures in History. Today's topic is Millard Fillmore, part 1. Millard Fillmore was the 13th president of the United States of America. He was uh, he became president in July of 1850 when uh, President Zachary Taylor died. He was the Fillmore was vice president and assumed the presidency. And he served as U.S. president until March of 1853. So he served for two years and eight months, final time uh, that was left in Zachary Taylor's uh, term since he died in in office. Millard Fillmore was six feet tall, he had blue eyes and was handsome. He was the son of a, a poor frontier farmer and he helped his father clear the land and raise crops. His father was a tenant farmer he had a very, he had a very uh, tough childhood. Uh, but Millard Fillmore's life story is that of rags to riches, a make it in America tale. That he, yeah, he, he, he achieved the American dream. He came from extremely humble uh, origins. His father being a tenant farmer had very little education, and he became a big success in life because of through hard work and education and good character. Eventually, he joined the Unitarian Church. Uh, Some some have described Fillmore as uninspiring, but industrious and competent. Also modest, unassuming, and and amiable. As U.S. President, he ordered Commodore Matthew C. Perry and the U.S. Navy to sail to Japan and open that country to trade. Japan had been closed to the outside world, and he accomplished that. Miller Fillmore was erect, had very good uh, posture. He always dressed very well, impeccably, as opposed to uh, his running mate in 1848, Zachary Taylor, who dressed poorly. One of his accomplishments was, as U.S. President, President Fillmore was uh, to, to achieve uh, cheap postal rates. In other words, lowering, uh, lowering the uh, postage required. And uh, he was con- a kind man, very gracious and courteous, born in a log cabin. Now, Millard Fillmore, <coughs> by many historians, is considered a, a fail, uh, a, a lousy president, uh, or and a weak president. One of the presidents who were, as we get closer to the Civil War, were considered uh, they're all considered failures by many presidents. I, I disagree with that uh, that that opinion. And he is uh, Millard Fillmore is primarily uh, condemned for signing f- signing the Fugitive Slave Law in, Slave Act into law. And uh, now he's been condemned for that. Oh, this, what a terrible thing he did. But actually, he did it for a good reason. He did it to try to prevent uh, the secession of the South and Civil War. And it gave, it gave the North 10 more years, from 1850 to 18, 1861, to, uh, for the Industrial Revolution to make the North stronger and, and more capable of winning the Civil War. And I, to me, I think uh, Millard Fillmore... Li- lived a very uh, amazing life of uh, of hard work and achievement and good character and uh, tremendous national service especially to the city of buffalo and i think as us president he did the best he could in an impossible situation as the slave conflict conflict over slavery grew worse and worse and it was just an impossible situation, and he did his best. I don't think anyone could have done better, so I think he deserves credit. This is one of our problems today. We don't give people credit. He, people think, oh, Millard Fillmore was terrible. No, he wasn't terrible. He was a great man, and he der- deserves respect for the life he lived and his, his contributions to our country. Uh, his biographer, Robert J. Rayback, wrote, quote, that Millard Fillmore was a little-known president who, quote, needed to be done, made the prospect of a biography even more attractive. Digging into the literature of the period, however, soon showed that almost all that anybody knew about Fillmore was what his bitterest political enemy had written nearly 10 years after the president's death. You see, Millard Fillmore, the, the attitudes about Millard Fillmore were... there. are I mean, American presidents are opinions are always affected by politics, and then when the Civil War came and all the suffering of the war, there, were, there was an interest in looking for blame, blaming people, and uh, Millard Miller Fillmore was one of the people who were unfairly, in my opinion, blamed for the suffering in the Civil War. He was born in poverty in central New York State, very poorly educated, but became, he had very little formal, formal schooling. But Millard Fillmore became an extremely well-educated man all through self-education. He he became dedicated to learning, and a guy who had very little schooling. Today he's a very unknown president, considered unsuccessful. And again, I disagree with that opinion. Again, the, the, the his critics say that he catered too much to the South and favored slavery. Well. He was trying to preserve the Union, and that's this is why he was interested in, 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 in appeasing the South. <clears throat> his father, uh, Nathaniel Fillmore, was from Bennington, Vermont, and in 1799, with his brother Calvin, they brought, bought land, a farm in Cayuga County, New York. However, the, they found that the land was not fertile and had too much clay, and that there was a faulty title, so they lost the land that they had bought. And then they moved to another farm and became his father became a tenant farmer, in other words, working the land of someone else, land that he, that he did not own. <clears throat> Millard Fillmore was born on January 7, 1800, in Cayuga County, New York, in a very poor family, in the Finger Lakes section of New York, born in a log cabin. And he had a lot of, he had a childhood of work, he helped a lot of hard work. He helped his father uh, clear the timber and work the farm. They, he hoed corn, mowed hay, and planted wheat. This was, it was an isolated farm. His, his mother's, uh, his first name, Millard, was his mother's maiden name. So that's how he got the name Millard. His parents were Nathaniel and Phoebe Fillmore. Again, his father was uh, as a tenant farmer. Now, as a boy, as a young man, when he was 14, uh, to help the family, Millard became an apprentice in a textile mill. In the work, he was doing wool carding and cloth dressing. So he started working, aside from working at home, working to bring in money at an early age. Now, he did learn how to read and write, but that was about it. And he was very he was painfully aware of his ignorance of how little he knew. And he dedicated himself to self-education and became an extremely... Edu- educated men through his own self-efforts not not through his schooling the family library that they had as a boy they had a bible a hymn book and an almanac and that was it again 1815 he was 14 years old and he was apprenticed to a cloth maker and he did that for five years uh, when he was 19 he fell in love with a woman named abigail powers who was two years older and she was a teacher, and he was, he was inspired by her to pursue education, despite his disadvantages. And he purchased his freedom from his apprenticeship. He had to pay $30 to get out of this apprenticeship. And then he, he, bought a diction, he bought a dictionary, and became, he became a teacher to raise money. Developed a tremendous love of reading books. Age 17, uh, in the village of New Hope, he, he paid to join a private library and read voraciously. Now, when he was 19, that, the textile mill had closed, and he, he enrolled in a local academy. And that's where he met this, uh, his future wife, Abigail Powers, who was a teacher. During this time, he became a clerk of the, county ju- of the county judge, Walter Wood. He was living at home, teaching school, paid off the apprenticeship. Then his family moved to East Aurora, near Buffalo. Uh, uh, Fillmore grew to be six feet tall, very handsome, and ambitious. Again, he had met his, he met Abigail at this country school and he said about that, quote, I pursued much of my study with and perhaps was unconsciously stimulated by the companionship of a young lady whom I afterward married. And this Abigail Powers changed his life because she inspired him to, to, uh, to learn. And, and, uh, and that, that even though he hadn't, been in school very much that so he could become very educated and he did. So she really played a major positive influence on his life. He became an apprentice for Walter Wood and uh, who was a lawyer in Montville, New York, who shoved the first volume of Blackstone's legal commentaries into his hand and said, quote, "Thee will please turn thy attention to this." Two months later, this lawyer Walter Wood said quote, if thee has an ambition for distinction and can sacrifice everything else to success, the law is the road that leads to honors. And if thee can ri- get rid of thy engagement to serve as an apprentice, I would advise thee to come back and study law. Fillmore uh, ended up teaching elementary school at, uh, uh, to raise money to pay off his apprenticeship. And he was working for this Judge Wood, uh, who owned a number of farms, and uh, one of the jobs Fillmore was doing was evicting tenants who were, uh, who had, were behind on, on, on the payments they needed to make. And he ended up having a dispute with Judge Wood and quit. And Miller Fillmore said about this Judge Wood that he is, quote, more anxious to keep me in a state of dependence and use me as a drudge in his business than to make a lawyer out of me. So he returned to the farm, uh, and the, f- the family at this time had moved to Aurora, 18 miles from Buffalo. 1822, Buffalo was on the rise. It had been rebuilt after being burnt by the British in the War of 1812. And this it was, Buffalo was eventually became his home, this uh, very important port on Lake Erie, uh, where the Erie Canal would empty into Lake Erie. Miller Fillmore took this... Uh, he took the teaching job, as I said, became a clerk in Buffalo, later in the law firm of Asa Rice and Joseph Clary. He was very well-liked. People liked Millard Fillmore because he spoke well, he dressed well, had a positive attitude, his opinions and manners, good manners, a hard worker. He was sound and steady. And the common saying became, quote, if Millard Fillmore goes for it, so do I. By 1823, Millard Fillmore had been admitted to the bar to practice law in New York State. He won the friendship of a county judge and studied law in his office. And then he opened his own law office in East Aurora, New York. He was, he was insecure in Buffalo and returned to East Aurora because there were no lawyers there. So he could be the, he could provide all legal work. Uh, again, he had, he had moved to Buffalo, spent some time there, was kind of intimidated uh, again, he st- taught school, studied law He was uh, described as cautious, conservative, serious, studious, and hardworking And then it, again admitted to the bar in Buffalo But returned to East Aurora Because he was intimidated by the big city And see, he was a young man, insecure, lacking self-confidence And had this uh, background of poverty he read, his, he read books his whole life for self-improvement Always impeccably dressed because he, yeah, he had this uh, you know, sort of shame of over his poverty, wanted to impress other people with his clothing. Miller Fillmore was cautious and curt, conservative. The son of a dirt farmer, a self-educated factory apprentice who somehow became a lawyer. So he was a guy who really uh, rags to riches, well on his way at that time. And the thing is, he had good supportive parents. That I'm sure that that meant everything to him. They were poor, but they were good people and very kind and very, uh, and very loving to him and supportive. He became, uh, again, well-dressed. Perpet- it was said he was perpetually conscious of his manners, wanted to behave well. Uh, Miller Fillmore became the leading citizen in East Aurora, New York. He became commissioner of deeds and had a modest law practice and visited uh, Abigail, this uh, gal, who was his girlfriend, in Moravia, New York. By 1826, uh, Millard uh, and Abigail, they got married in Febu- on February 5th because Millard Fillmore believed that he was sufficiently established, quote, in the law, that his law career was going well enough that uh, he could get married. Uh, Millard and, his, and Abigail had a mutual love of reading and literature. So they both were, uh, yeah, they were both intellect- intellectuals. And Abigail was the first professional first lady. They had two children, Millard and Mary, and uh, Mary died of cholera at age 22. Very tragic. They said that Millard Fillmore was not humorous. Yeah, he was a serious guy, hardworking. Hard he was raised in the, the Methodist Church, married in the Episcopal Church, but eventually joined the Unitarian Church. He hired Nathan Hall as a law clerk. The law office, His law office was doing well and Nathan Hall became a lifelong confidant and ally. He was very busy with his legal career, by this time, no, no time for politics. But by 1827, politics beckoned, and he, Villamar, became involved in the anti-Freemasons movement. And there was a belief that the Freemasons was this, it was this, uh, secret society, uh, a fraternal organization, and that there was a belief that the Freemasons had, had this conspiracy to dominate the country uh, behind the scenes. So people, there was a strong anti-Freemasons uh, 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 sentiment among the public. This led to his involvement in politics. Now it started when William Morgan had prepared a book ar- regarding the Freemasons and their secrets and he disappeared. He was believed he was murdered by the Freemasons. So the, this, uh, this, somehow the uh, story went out. Oh, these Freemasons, you know, they do whatever they want. They have no respect for the law and the established authorities. Actually, I think they were, they're a fine organization. But anyway, they, there was this anti-Freemasons movement. The belief that they were a, an, an invisible empire that had infiltrated the government and was controlling everything. Thurlow Weed was a New York politician. He was a leader of the anti-Freemason movement, a newspaper man. And by this time, this is 18, around 1826, Millard Fillmore was getting interested in politics. He he became, Fillmore became a strong Thurlow Weed supporter. By 1828, Fillmore was elected to the New York State Legislature as a member of the Anti-Masonic Party. And for the next three years, he served in the New York State Legislature from 28 to 31. His most important contribution: he sponsored a bill which ended imprisonment for debtors, and which helped the New York economy. You know, people who got into debt would get arrested, and then they couldn't uh, they couldn't work. So this was a this was a very good thing that he did in in ch- having that law changed. He was a founder later, eventually later, years later, he became a founding member of the New York Whig Party. Millard Fillmore had an acquisitive mind and he learned the parliamentary tricks in, of, of government. Again, he, was work, he worked for the abolition of imprisonment for debt and new, bankruptcies lo- new bankruptcy laws, which helped all New Yorkers, especially entrepreneurs and businessmen. By 1830, Millard Fillmore was growing in confidence he promoted a broadened base for the this uh, party, the anti-masonic party, and the rights of workers. And he was rising in the party. Right? Again, 1831, he did get this law passed, ending imprisonment for debt and new bank a new bankruptcy law. His biographer, biographer Robert Rayback, wrote quote to the mechanics, talking mechanics meaning workers to the mechanics. Fillmore gave freedom from debt imprisonment and also freed the debtors who were then in jail. To the rising new business world, he gave a state bankruptcy law that unshackled its talented and ambitious members. To creditors, he gave protection by making fraudulent bankruptcy a crime against society, punishable by imprisonment. By 1830, Millard Fillmore moved to Buffalo, which was a rapidly growing town, and that was his home for the rest of his life. And no one could have been a better citizen of a a city than Millard Fillmore in Buffalo. He established a profitable law partnership with Nathan Hall, who became his postmaster general when Fillmore was president. Uh, Fillmore was a prominent lawyer, a civic booster, and he eventually joined the Unitarian Church, Buffalo is the terminus of the Erie Canal and had a very promising future. In fact, by 1860, Buffalo was the 10th largest city in the United States. Also, in, in his, his law firm, Joseph Clary joined, this, joined in a partnership, and this was an exciting time. Buffalo was booming, 1830, uh, had 8,000 people. Millard, Millard and Abigail uh, enjoyed life in Buffalo, formal dinners, chamber recitals, dances, visiting lectures and plays. And Miller Fillmore had a great faith in books, was an avid reader, eventually he had a library with 4,000 volumes. Robert J. Rayback wrote, "...sensitive students of poetry would have been aghast to hear Fillmore declaim that William Shakespeare was overrated. They would have had an insight into the nature of this man, however, had they known that he admired Alexander Pope's An Essay on Man." a century and an ocean, and a civilization separated Fillmore from Pope. Yet the two had something in common. The poet's demand for greater simplicity in verse, the neat, measured, exact, regular, heroic couplet, found a kindred spirit in in Millard Fillmore's simple, untortured exposition. Millard Fillmore and his wife Abigail talked easily and with knowledge upon a wide variety of subjects, including contemporary authors. In Buffalo's social gatherings, they were conversational gems. Robert J. Rayback continues, quote, The teacher in Millard Fillmore, or or possibly the idealist, could not be confined to hearth and friends. His temperament destined him forever to promote libraries, learning, and knowledge. So Millard Fillmore was very busy during these years. He helped formed the Buffalo High School Association. He joined the the Buffalo Lyceum and became vice president of that organization. 1830, there was a nationwide craze for self-improvement, the Lyceum Movement, which created thousands of local study groups, study groups adult education through self-help. In other words, a lot of adults who wanted to learn, maybe didn't have much schooling. So lots of lectures, debates, experiments, uh, Millard Fillmore had a collection of rocks and plants, and he agitated for better public schools and, and libraries. Fillmore donated his, many of his books to the local library. Again, they joined, they joined the Unitarian Church in 1830, became lifelong members of that church. Millard Fillmore was a loyal champion of Buffalo. He promoted the, he promoted the fire department, the digging of wells, buying fire engines, the elimination of fire hazards. Robert J. Rayback wrote, quote, His townsmen began to recognize him as a person of unassailable integrity. His law practice, meanwhile, developed his financial abilities, and the city father saw him as the person to handle testy situations. So his, by 1832, his law practice was going very well with Nathan Hall, who was his good friend. Uh, Solomon Haven also joined the law firm. By 1831, the anti-Mason party was dying, uh, largely due because President Andrew Jackson was a Freemason. By 1832, Millard Fillmore was elected to the U.S. Congress House of Representatives rep- from New York State. And uh, by by this time, uh, he joined the Whig Party, became a protege of Daniel Webster. He did not seek re-election in 1834, returned home to Buffalo to practice law, but was re-elected and came, uh, was elected again in 1836, 1838, and 1840. So he was in the U.S. Congress from New York, and he, w- he was a persistent advocate of federal programs for development of rivers, harbor improvements, especially on the Great Lakes, of course, because he was, you know, from Buffalo. So that was, that would definitely help his hometown. 1833, uh, Millard Fillmore arrived in Washington City as a U.S. congressman. He stayed first at Gadsby's. In 1831, he was moving away from the anti-Freemasons. He dined with Daniel Webster, had dinner together, who was very kind to Millard Fillmore, and again, he was, uh, at this time, he was self-confident and outgoing. And Fillmore helped form the new party, the Whig Party, which was in opposition to Andrew Jackson. And the leader of that party was Henry Clay. And Millard Fillmore had this to say about Henry Henry Clay's, quote, ambition is as insatiable as that of Julius Caesar. It has swallowed up judgment and reason, and I think, and I think I might say patriotism. I wonder if he got in trouble for that, or if that was uh, those those opinions were not known. Uh, so again, the Whig Party was formed. He joined it, an anti-Andrew Jackson party. The, there was the Democrats and the Whigs. He was elected, uh, elected in again 1836, re-elected in 38, 40, and 42, and became a chairman of the powerful Ways and Midi- Ways and Means Committee in in the House. He also promoted protective tariffs to support American industry. 1835, uh, Millard Fillmore was active in preparing for the 1836 U.S. presidential election, and he supported William Henry Harrison. However, that election, Martin Van Buren was elected. 1838, the abolition movement was growing stronger and was pressuring uh, politicians in the north, and Fillmore didn't like it. And he described this as, quote, the Philistines are upon us. Miller Fillmore was against uh, against professional politicians, in other words, guys who made their living from politics, and he said, quote, He is miserable whose happiness hangs on a prince's favor, but he is not only wretched but infinitely degraded whose means of support depends on the wild caprice of the ever-changing multitude. By 1840, another presidential election, Millard Fillmore supported William Henry Harrison, who got the nomination of his Whig Party and won the election. Robert J. Rayback wrote this about Millard Fillmore in 1841, quote, "'Seldom did did Millard Fillmore's eyes gleam with the vision of a dreamer. Never did he spin abstractions into full-blown systems.' he observed what lay before him and let his judgment find order amid the facts that crowded in upon him. Again, Fillmore f- uh, favored the tariff to protect American industry, and by this time there was less opposition in the South because, because of the cotton mills in the South, which benefited from the tariff. Uh, he was uh, Millard Fillmore was a leader in Congress promoting tariffs. Uh, Robert J. Rayback said, quote, Behind his phlegmatic demeanor was a reservoir of untapped strength. He was always dignified, cool, self possessed, conciliatory, clear, concise, and indefatigable. By 1843, uh, uh, Fillmore retired from Congress, returned to his law practice in Buffalo, and he was having a struggle with William Seward and Thurlow Weed, who controlled the New York Whig Party. And again, the abolitionist movement was growing stronger and stronger, and Fillmore did, did, didn't support it because he felt it threatened the union, and, which it did, even though it was fighting for a righteous cause. And he also didn't appreciate their, their holier-than-thou attitude and, and sense of arrogance when they talked to people about it, that. If you didn't join the abolitionist movement, you were an evil person. 1843, uh, John Quincy Adams, former president, visited Buffalo, and he said this, quote, I cannot forbear to express here my regret at Millard Fillmore's retirement in the present emergency from the councils of the nation. There or elsewhere, I hope and trust he will soon return, for whether to the nation or to the state, no service can be or ever will be rendered by a more able or faithful public servant." Well that, well that concludes today's presentation. We'll continue t- next time with the uh, part 2 of the life of the life and times of Millard Fillmore, the 13th US President. Uh, you might consider checking on our website Adventures in History with Peter J Ray at peterjray.com. So far we've made 607 history videos in seven areas: world history, American history, book reviews, <clears throat> poetic tours, Cleveland baseball, family history and autobiography. You also might consider checking out our podcast, Adventures in History. Thanks so much for watching. I really appreciate it. God bless you. Take care. And I'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Peter J. Ray. Welcome to Adventures in History. Today's topic is Millard Fillmore, Part 2. Millard Fillmore was the 13th President of the United States. We stopped last time in 1844. Lord Fillmore had uh, risen from, from poverty, very humble origins, eventually lived in Buffalo, New York, and established himself as a very successful lawyer. He really uh, became a self educated, very well educated and self educated man, and had very good character and did all kinds of things for Buffalo, New York. And then was elected to Congress and was become developing a very positive reputation in Congress, serving his district from, from New York. In 1844, he sought the Whig nomination for president, for vice president rather. He was a member of the Whig party. And he was not nominated, uh, but, but he was nominated for governor of New York by the Whig party, but lost in the election. Uh, there were a lot of German immigrants, and the, uh, the, their votes were important. And the Whigs were considered anti-foreign and anti-Catholic, and this is one of the reasons he lost that election. After, the, after losing, Philomore said, quote, All is gone but honor. In 1846, uh, he founded the University of Buffalo and became the chancellor. Really good. Buffalo was a bottleneck for Great Lakes shipping. Uh, there there was harbor improvement was needed and there was no federal help. So he was hoping that or pushing for that so that these ships could pass through more quickly and un, uh, unload their cargo. His biographer Robert J. Rayback wrote about Fillmore. He said that quote he had a quote a, nas- a, a natural cast of mind that preferred business to show, a love of labor a fondness for mechanical work, and a compulsive natural grasp, united to great capacity for details, energy, and inventiveness. By 1848, uh, he was the comptroller of the state of New York, elected in 47, and so he moved to Albany since that was a state, uh, job, state position. Robert J. Rayback wrote, quote, He plainly saw that henceforth his life was not to be passed in the quiet practice of law, but in the full blaze of public life where he was to be a prominent actor. That same year, 1848, his son, Miller Jr., whom they called Powers, started college at Harvard. 1848, uh, Miller Fillmore was nominated as uh, the vice presidential nominee uh, for his, with the Zachary Taylor ticket, and he, they won. So Fillmore was elected vice president in 1848, and he helped. Uh, Zach Taylor win the crucial New York state, and he balanced the ticket between North and South. Since Fillmore was from a northerner from New York, and Zach Taylor was a southerner from from Virginia, uh, Kentucky, and then settled in Louisiana. Uh, Zach Taylor did not campaign, however. Millard Fillmore gave many enthusiastic speeches during the campaign. So, March of eighteen forty-nine, uh, Millard Fillmore was inaugurated as the U.S. Vice President. He. Tr- traveled from albany new york to washington dc his wife abigail got sick and on the way she got sick so she returned to buffalo and this is uh when when fillmore arrived in washington he met zach taylor for the first time they did not develop a close relationship uh and this was he was a uh, miller fillmore was in kind of a tough situation here because he wasn't close with the president and he was no longer in congress he was you know Vice President is uh, sort of all, all alone and he had, he had kind of a tough time. His self-confidence uh, 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 went down a little bit and he, he was having trouble in that situation. He was lonely, living and he lived at the Willard Hotel, professionally isolated and personally miserable. He really you know he wasn't in Congress where he, which is what he was used to. The vice president has a kind of a strange situation. And another thing is that uh, President Taylor was close with William Seward, who was Millard Fillmore's New York political rival. Robert J. Rayback wrote, quote, Quiet and undramatic perseverance kept Millard Fillmore constantly on the edge of greatness. 1849, the, uh, the slavery continued to be more and more controversial, a bigger conflict between North and South. And uh, there was the issue of of slaves uh, escaping to the north, who were called fugitive slaves by the south. And uh, so there more and more uh, slaves were coming north, escaping, and especially because of the development of the railroad made it easier for them. You know, if they got on a railroad somehow and uh, hid somewhere, they could make, make good time traveling north. Since 1830, the, the rise of railroads, much easier for slaves to escape by railroad, and and that was true for Frederick Douglass in 1839, who, who got on a train in Baltimore and came north. Now, in the north, there was, a, there, and actually at this time, there were a, there was a, a slave catchers come, coming north trying to hunting fugitive slaves. And people in the north really hated that. The abolition movement was growing stronger. And as I said, the northerners hated slave catchers roaming around. The thing is, there were lots of there were was a large uh, free black population in the north, and they were afraid that they would be taken uh, back into slavery. They would these slave catchers would say, "All right, uh, you're a, an escaped slave," then we're, they'd grab the guy and take him back. 1850, there was this uh, plenty of uh, lots of uh, political uh, debate, and they called it the Compromise of 1850. Plenty of debate over various very important issues, and the key characters included Henry Clay, Daniel Webster, John C. Calhoun, and Jefferson Davis. Folks in California and New Mexico wanted to join the Union as free states, and this uh, upsets folks in the South because uh, this would uh, tip the balance. In uh, in the Senate toward the north And there was talk of secession in the south If that happened July of 1850 uh, President Taylor died And that meant that uh, Millard Fillmore became the 13th 13th president Upon the death of the president And he completely changed uh, 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 President uh, Taylor's uh, cabinet And so this was really something The cloth maker's apprentice became a U.S. president. So he was the, yeah, he came from these very humble origins. And here he, his father was a tenant farmer growing up, very little schooling, and he'd worked in a textile mill as an apprentice, apprentice. and now here he was, president of the United States. But it was all very well-deserved because of his hard work and uh, self-efforts self effort, for self-improvement and self-education and good character. Now, Millard Filmer was the last Whig president. There were only four William Henry Harrison, John Tyler, Zach Taylor, and Fillmore. Uh, in fact, in the coming years, uh, the Whig Party would pretty would really uh, wither away as the uh, modern Republican Party uh, came into being. Many Whigs became Republicans. Daniel Webster became uh, President Fillmore's Secretary of State. Now, there was one story after uh, President Taylor's death when Millard Fillmore took his oath as president. And he, the story is he went to buy a new carriage, and he found a nice one, and the owner was leaving Washington, and he was trying he wanted to sell his carriage. And uh, Fillmore said to his attendant, according to the story, "This is all very well, Edward, but how would it do for a president of the United States to ride around in a second-hand carriage?" And uh, the the guy responded, "But sure, your but sure, your excellency is only a second-hand president." I don't know if there's any truth to that story. So actually, uh, in July, yeah, for his first day in office, he changed his entire cabinet. And uh, Daniel Taylor, I'm sorry, Daniel Webster was the new Secretary of State, and it was his closest advisor. Now there was this, uh, now they said that... uh, his critics said that uh, Miller Fillmore did not understand the strong hatred of slavery in the north. I think he did, but he also his priority was to keep the union one and uh, he felt the abolition movement uh, threatened the union. 1850 Texas claimed New Mexico and threatened to invade. President Fillmore sent 750 federal troops to protect New Mexico. And President Fillmore said this, quote, "...if the laws of the United States are opposed and obstructed in any state or territory by combinations too powerful to be suppressed by the judicial or civil authorities, it is the duty of the President either to call out the militia or to employ the military and naval force of the United States, or to do both if, in his judgment, the exigency of the occasion shall so require." So President Fillmore protected New Mexico from a, Tex- from a Texan takeover. Now the, uh, now the so-called uh, the Compromise of 1850, uh, which was the, the high point of, of President Fillmore's life, or the most important event, happened in 1850. And this was a, a series of, of laws, that, uh, of uh, things became law, And and, uh, they were called a compromise between North and South. And under this compromise, California entered the Union as a free state. And uh, Utah and New Mexico became territories. Uh, Texas gave up its claim to New Mexico and was paid $10 million to do so. The slave trade was banned in Washington, D.C. However, slavery continued there. Now, the most controversial aspect of the law was the fugitive slave law. Which was uh, which was intended to help help with the capture of escaped slaves in the North, and this was very controversial. Northern abolitionists were very angry about this, and uh, supposedly uh, Harriet Pe- Beecher Stowe was inspired to write her book, Uncle Tom's Cabin, based on the, on the um, the passage of the Fugitive Slave Law. Now the uh, uh, now the other thing is that uh, now the this was controversial, and uh, although uh, the, those who uh, give Fillmore credit believe that the Compromise of 1850 delayed the Civil War 10 years, so his critics say, oh, this is terrible what they did, he, and he signed this, the Fugitive Slave Law, uh, but again, it gave the North 10 more years in the Industrial Revolution to, to get stronger industrial Industrially, to win the Civil War, because that's what it took was, the, was industrial might to win the Civil War and to keep the United States one country. Henry Clay was the architect of the Compromise of 1850. President Fillmore signed all five bills. Now, in the Fugitive Slave Law, this uh, stipulated that there w- would be federal assistance to help capture escaped slaves. And uh, critics of the law were upset that this put, they believed that free blacks in the North were at risk. And again, the critics said that the Fugitive Slave Law Act further divided the United States. Well, that's, that's again, that's a matter of opinion. And it's not, uh, Fillmore was in, wasn't in favor of slavery, but he wanted to keep the country together. Again, this uh, many folks in the North, this did satisfy Southerners, but many folks in the North were very, very upset. And see, Millard Fillmore was a Northerner, so this really hurt his, his political career. His biographer, biographer, Robert J. Rayback, wrote about the Compromise of 1850, quote, "...as if by magic, the clouds of disunion which hovered threateningly over the nation disappeared." In ten short weeks, Fillmore's administration had solved the problem of territorial government that had plagued Congress ever since American and Mexican troops first clashed four years ago, a problem that had sacrificed all else to its devouring demand for attention. Again, the, uh, Now, Fillmore had this to say about the Compromise of 1850 when there was all this endless talk and they couldn't work it out, and, uh, and he said this, quote, I think no event would be hailed with more gratification by the people of the United States than the amicable adjustment of questions of difficulty, which have now for a long time agitated the country and occupied to the exclusion of other subjects the time and attention of Congress. See, under the law, the California entered the union as a uh, free state, and it looked like New Mexico and Utah would also eventually enter as free, as free states so, the, so this uh, pleased the North, and the South demanded the fugitive slave law because more and more slaves were escaping North. In and, and their perspective, they were losing their property. And uh, President Fillmore believed in uh, the rule of law, and his critics uh, uh, condemned him for what they called his enthusiastic support for the fugitive slave law and aggressive enforcement, which again hurt, hurt him politically since he was a Northerner. Under the law, it became illegal to help escape slaves. This was very offensive to f- folks in the North. Now, the thing is, hard, it was hard to identify who was a free black in the North and who was an escaped slave. There were 150,000 free blacks in the North. The penalty under the new law for helping an escaped slave was $1,000 and six months in jail. Now, the, and the, the burden of proof was weak regarding the identity of, of an escaped slave. Free blacks were at risk. And the alleged fugitive slave could not testify on his behalf. So under the law, if a slave catcher found a black guy and they he said, all right, and he you know he he uh, manhandled him and and said, all right, uh, you're a, you're a you're an escaped slave, and they would under the law they would have to have a a, a court a trial, and a judge would have to rule. Now, again, another problem with the law. Under the law, the judge would receive $10 if he ruled that the individual was a, indeed a slave. And he would only get $5 if he ruled that he was a free, free black. So that, that itself was a problematic part of the law. And again, the fugitive slave law, this is the thing that people ever since have, uh, have castigated Millard Fillmore and said, oh, what a terrible thing he did. Again, yeah, I disagree with that. That's a political opinion, and I disagree with it because he was doing something to preserve the Union. Abraham Lincoln had the same attitude. You know, he also didn't like uh, slavery, but, but he believed he didn't want the country to break up. And that's why Miller Fillmore signed the law to keep the country one and from breaking up. December 2nd of 1850, President Fillmore gave his first annual message, and he said, quote, the government of the United States is a limited government. It is confined to the exercise of powers expressly granted, and such others as may be necessary for carrying those powers into effect. And it is at all times an especial duty to guard against any infringement on the just rights of the states. President Fillmore promoted uh, uh, as President, uh, he promoted Great Lakes lighthouses and harbor improvements, and he was able to uh, work with Congress, to have $2 million uh, a- allocated for waterways from San Diego, California, to Charleston, South Carolina, and a seawall in Buffalo, improvements on the Hudson River. He also President Fillmore also promoted a U.S. mint in California for gold there, since, because there was the gold rush, and that was implemented in San Francisco. He worked to reduce postage rates from t- 5 to $0.12 cents to $0.03 cents everywhere but the West Coast, and from $0.40 cents to $0.06 cents for letters or for mail going to the West Coast. And this was a wonderful thing because it stimulated commerce and communication, really helped people communicate, helped people learn more because there was lots a of, lot of newspapers being printed. He also promoted a transcontinental railroad, which uh, was you know, very important for uh, transportation. He negotiated for President Fillmore negotiated for the release of Hungarian patriot Louis Kosuth from a Turkish jail, who was in jail in Turkey, because well, Hungary was close to the part of the Ottoman Empire. He also signed a treaty with Switzerland. Millard Fillmore had a lifelong fascination with foreign places. Again, because of his, he became a, such an educated person, very, very curious, and read a lot of books. He's very interested in foreign. Places and cultures. He loved books, maps, and geography. Always wanted to expand his knowledge. As vice president, he was regent of the Smithsonian Institute. And again, earlier, he had gained a charter for the University of Buffalo. Now, at that time, uh, Japan was closed to the outside world. They called it the Hermit Kingdom. They, they, there was, they didn't, the Japanese did not want relations with other countries. And uh, President uh, Fillmore, uh, he, he he spearheaded an effort to open Japan to the outside world by sending Commodore Matthew Perry and the U.S. Navy to Japan on a mission to attempt to, to get the Japanese to open up to the outside world and, and trade with foreign countries. So Fillmore, President Fillmore, wrote a letter to the uh, Emperor of Japan, and uh, they prepared this trip, and he gave all, every encouragement he could to Commodore Matthew Perry, and uh, they, they, they gave them—they uh, pres- arranged for a number of, of things, uh, gifts— That uh, Perry would bring and to give to the Japanese to try to impress them and entice them, get them interested in trading with the outside world. And these things included a toy railroad, a telegraph, farm machinery, a camera, a revolver, a rifle, a bird book, an animal book, and 100 gallons of Kentucky bourbon. Fillmore's uh, choice of, he chose he Matthew Perry, and it was a wise choice because Perry did a good job, and, they, and, and mission, the mission was accomplished, not under President Fillmore's time, but it was initiated by him and became a, became, a, a, became a reality. Japan did open to the outside world as a result. Now, in 1851, in September, Louis Kosuth, the leader of Hungarian independence, Movement against Austria. He came to the United States. It was very popular, and there, of, there was a lot of support for him. However, President Fillmore did not support Hungarian independence. He believed this would inspire Southerners to uh, to to uh, fight a war of independence themselves against the North, and he didn't be, he didn't think this would this would be a problematic. 1852, uh, Commodore Matthew Perry left Norfolk, Virginia in November with uh, six ships of the U.S. Navy and uh, started this long long trip. And this was a a great achievement. Uh, Millard Fillmore was a visionary and interested in the exotic countries. Perry and the U.S. Navy arrived in Japan in July of 1853 after Millard Fillmore left office. In 1854, a U.S.-Japan treaty was signed under the leadership of President Franklin Pierce. So that became a reality. Also in 1851, the French had tried to make a Hawaii a French colony, and President Fillmore had opposed that and helped preserve Hawaiian independence. and of course, which led eventually it became part of the United States, Hawaii. August of 1851, Narciso Lopez was added again, and with 400 men, he sailed from New Orleans to Cuba, attempting to conquer Cuba. Uh, which was a Spanish colony And have it become a, a, a U.S. slave state And this mission was a disaster half of, the, uh, half of the guys were killed There was fighting with the Spanish army 50 Americans were arrested and executed in Cuba 160 prisoners were sent to Spain There were riots in New Orleans And the Spanish embassy was attacked Eventually, of course, the U.S. did take a, uh, Cuba in 1898 1851, there was an an enormous backlash against the fugitive slave law. Uh, The critics critics said that uh, President Fillmore had no sympathy for runaway slaves. Well, I'm sure he did. He was a very good man, but he felt this threatened the Union. The Chicago City Council passed a resolution declaring the law null and void. Frederick Douglass, who was an escape, who had escaped from slavery, became a strong leader in the abolitionist movement. He suggested the killing of fugitive slave catchers. Uh, there was a lot of rest- resistance in the North to the law, and this actually stimulated the abolition movement. And Millard Fillmore hated abolitionists. He f- believed they. Yeah, he he knew their cause was right, but he believed it threatened the country, break up the country, and again they were they were arrogant, and this was a real problem. The way they, if you didn't support them, they condemned you as evil. The Compromise of 1850, uh, the whole purpose was to fight the Southern secession movement, and that that uh, that succeeded. Again, this uh, another thing is those who had those who helped escape slaves. Uh, were charged with treason. However, there were no convictions. No convictions. In 1851, Supreme Court Justice, uh, uh, the the Supreme Court Chief Justice had this to say about one treason trial. Treason meaning uh, treason for helping escape slaves in the North. Quote, did you hear it? Three harmless, non resisting Quakers and eight and thirty wretched, miserable, penniless Negroes armed with corn cutters, clubs, and a few muskets, and headed by a miller in a felt hat, without a coat, without arms, and mounted on a sorrel nag, levied war against the United States. Blessed be God that our union has survived the shock. Miller Fillmore, again, his critics charged that he relentlessly pursued prosecution of Northerners who interfered with the Fugitive Slave Act. And this was in the... uh, in, in an atmosphere of northern anti-slavery hostility, well, it was the law, and he believed in, in the rule of law. Now, his uh, wife Abigail, she struggled with her duties as first lady because of poor health, and their daughter Mary stepped in and very often served as uh, in her behalf as first lady. In 1851, the Library of Congress caught fire. And they had a bucket brigade to try to put it out and Millard Fillmore and his cabinet got in the bucket brigade handing buckets of water to help put out the fire. Also 1851, Abigail found no no dictionary or Bible in the White House. She saw, well, this is no good. So she started, Abigail Fillmore started the White House library and Millard was able to get $2,000 from Congress for that purpose. Abigail also convinced her husband, Millard Fillmore, to end flogging in the Navy, flogging when they would beat guys for for misbehavior. 1852, Harriet Beecher Stowe's uh, uh, classic novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin, was published. And became a sensation. Uh, in the story, there's this bear story of a barefoot slave, Eliza, jumping from ice flow to ice floe on the Ohio River. Because if she if they she was going from Kentucky to Ohio, Kentucky a slave state, and if they got into uh, Ohio, they were free. Uh, so that's why you know the, the the Ohio River was so important for them crossing the Ohio River. In this novel. Simon Legree is this uh, vicious plantation overseer, and Uncle Tom is this is the uh, is really the hero in the book. He's resilient and saintly. It's too bad Uncle Tom uh, became a, uh, an object uh, of scorn. It's like a, a derogatory word, but it's actually uh, uh, he was he was actually the hero of the book. It's too bad. Uh, the book the book sold three hundred thousand copies in one year and fueled the anti-slave movement, the abolition movement. 1852. There was direct train service between New York City and Chicago, which started that year. So that was really the, the transportation revolution was continuing. Also in 1852, the at the White House, the cast iron stove was re, replaced the open hearth fireplace cooking. 1852. Daniel Webster wanted to run for president. However, one but he was he was an old guy, and and one observer said that Webster was a quote. Poor, decrepit old man, whose limbs could scarcely support him, whose sluggish legs were somewhat concealed by an overhanging abdomen. Now, in the presidential election of 1852, there was strong support in the South for Millard Fillmore for re-election, and he was a strong candidate. Uh, the other, another candidate uh, was uh, in the Whig Party, was Winfield Scott, who was a Mexican War hero. And at the Whig at the Whig convention, Scott Winfield Scott got the nomination for president and defeated Millard Fillmore. So Fillmore did not receive the Whig Party nomination in 1852. The Democrats nominated Franklin Pierce. Uh, Again, he was uh, didn't get the nomination. Actually, that same year, Henry Clay and Daniel Webster died, so that was really the end of an era. And in November, the Democrat Franklin Pierce was elected as the 14th president. President Fillmore's final message to Congress in December of 1852, he said, quote, called by an unexpected dispensation to a position of higher trust. At a season of embarrassment and alarm, I entered upon its arduous duties with extreme diffidence. I claim only to have discharged them to the best of a humble ability, with a single eye to the public good, and it is with a single eye to the public good that I leave the country in a state of peace and prosperity. So March of 1853 was the end of Millard Fillmore's presidency and the inauguration of Franklin Pierce. Abigail was uh, sick, she got sick at the inauguration from the cold weather, and she died a month later. Very, very tragic. Now, President Fillmore was, was planning to return home to Buffalo for his legal, for his legal, to continue with his legal practice. On his last day as president, uh, Congress authorized the Transcontinental Railroad Survey, which is, which is what he had worked for and promoted. Well, that concludes today's presentation. We'll wrap up next time, The Life, of Mil- Life and Times of Millard Fillmore. Hope you have a good history book to read or, or have one or find one. There's so many amazing history books that have been written. You might consider checking out our website, Adventures in History with Peter J. Ray, peterjray.com. So far, we've made 608 history videos in seven areas, world history, American history, book reviews, poetic tours, ba- Cleveland baseball, family history, and autobiography. You also might consider checking out our podcast, Adventures in History. Thanks so much for watching. I really appreciate it. God bless you. Take care, and I'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Peter J. Ray. Welcome to Adventures in History. Today's topic is Millard Fillmore, Part 3, Buffalo, Buffalo New York, Community Servant. We stopped last time in 1853. Millard Fillmore's uh, presidency... Came to an end in March he was the 13th president and at the inauguration of Franklin Pierce his successor uh, Ab- his wife Fillmore's Ab- uh, wife Abigail got sick they were planning to go uh, return to Buffalo and uh, so they, they delayed their return and uh, and she did not recover she died a month later in Washington and so this was devastating to Millard because his uh, they, were very, they had a very good marriage and he had this to say after his wife died, quote, For 27 years, my entire married life, I was always greeted with a happy smile. Abigail died on March 30, 1853. Uh, Millard Fillmore biographer Robert J. Rayback wrote, quote, The next day the grief-saddened saddened family left with her remains for Buffalo and buried her the following day. All plans for trips and politics All worries about employment and dignity, all thoughts of stately homes dissolved before the spectacle of death. Retirement was to be a horrible loneliness. The following year, in July of 1854, Millard Fillmore's daughter Mary died as well at age 22. So this was a real, really devastating—losing his wife and his daughter. She was often the official White House hostess because her mother was was sick. Robert J. Rayback wrote, quote, Millard Fillmore's grief was boundless. He loved his daughter almost to the point of dotage. In Washington, she had been a great comfort and had frequently acted as his hostess when her mother was indisposed. Since her mother's death, she had taken on the task of running the household. Well, in his grief, uh, Fillmore decided the following year to take a uh, one-year grand tour of Europe and the Middle East, and he did that. He, he went to England, Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, Turkey, and Egypt. He was received by Queen Victoria in uh, Great Britain, who called him the handsomest man she'd ever met. In Germany, he met Alexander von Humboldt, the German naturalist and explorer, who gave him a personal tour of Berlin. He also met King Friedrich Wilhelm IV of Prussia, in Rome, Fillmore had an audience with Pope Pius IX. It was a good trip, very rejuvenating and fulfilling. Europeans were impressed with Millard Fillmore's modesty, and Fillmore had been fascinated by his whole life by geography and history and enjoyed seeing the famous place, places that he'd only read about. In London, 1855, one observer said this about Millard Fillmore, quote, no American ever received more attention in the mother country than Mr Fillmore his noble presence his mild and courtly manners about which there was the beauty of repose com- combined to charm the english people in his visits visit to in england he was offered an honorary degree by the university of, of oxford but turned it down citing a lack of classical education and the fact that he didn't understand the latin text of the diploma and he said, quote, No one should accept a degree he cannot read. Now, interestingly, uh, Martin Van Buren was also in London at the same time, and the two crossed paths. One day, uh, they were both in the gallery of the House of Commons. Again, as we said, uh, Miller Fillmore also met during this trip the Pope in Rome. He also visited Jerusalem and, and Constantinople, Jerusalem, the holy city in Constantinople, the, uh, well, at that time known as Istanbul, the capital of the Ottoman Empire, the old uh, capital of the Greek Orthodox Empire, or the Greek, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, yeah, the old Greek Empire, the old uh, Greek Byzantine Empire. 1856 was a presidential election year, and uh, the, the Whig Party was uh, very weak. It was dying, and uh, Fillmore was nominated by the Whig Party and also the American Party for president, two, two parties. He, he did not, uh, he did, did not win. He, he only won the state of Maryland. And this American Party was also known as the Know-Nothing Party. It was anti-Catholic and anti-immigrant. His vice president was Andrew Donaldson, the adopted son of Andrew Jackson. Now, in the election, um, uh, James Buchanan uh, was elected the Democrat. However, if there had been a change of 8,000 votes in Kentucky, Tennessee, and Louisiana, and if those votes had gone to Millard Fillmore, the election would have gone to the House of Representatives for a decision. The Whig Party was almost dead in 1856. The new new Republican Party was taking its place as the opposition party to the Democrats. And the Republicans, uh, their slogan was free soil, free labor, free speech, and free men. In the election, the Democrat, 56, the Democrat, James James Buchanan, defeated the Republican candidate, John C. Fremont. 1856. Millard Fillmore had this to say, quote, As an American, I have no hostility to foreigners. Having witnessed their deplorable condition in the old country, God forbid I should add to their sufferings by refusing them asylum in this. Millard Fillmore continued, talking to the American people, quote, You should be thankful that you live in this free and happy land, Guard well your institutions and be ever watchful against any attempt to divide or destroy our country. 1858, February uh, 10th, uh, Miller Fillmore remarried, married for the second time to a woman named Caroline McIntosh, who was a wealthy widow, and the couple purchased a large mansion in Buffalo. He also, during this time, was chancellor of the University of Buffalo now, their home, uh, Millard and Caroline, his new wife, their home was on Niagara Square. Robert J. Rayback wrote, quote, This mammoth structure became their home for the remainder of their lives. Its gothic style with parapets, balustrades, and simulated towers was decorated in the elegant taste of the, of the Victorian era. Um, Fillmore, uh, Millard Fillmore, in this really nice large house, he entertained many visitors Including the Japanese ambassador Tomomi Iwakura and His Royal Highness Prince Arthur of England. Okay, now his new wife, Carolyn, had many portraits and busts of Fillmore in their home. Robert J. Rayback wrote, quote, Her efforts became the butt of much amusement among the young people. 1860 was another presidential election year, and the Republican Abraham Lincoln was elected. Millard Fillmore did not support him, but sent him a a cordial note of congratulation and pledged his support. When uh, when Lincoln traveled to uh, Washington, on the way, he stopped in Buffalo and spent the night at Fillmore's home in in Buffalo with his wife, Mary. Of course, the uh, Civil War broke out uh, the following year, and uh, north and south, uh, Millard Fillmore organized a local militia of elderly men, a volunteer home guard in support of the war. He also raised $25,000 for the relief of wounded soldiers. And Millard Fillmore became Buffalo's civic war leader. 1861, Millard Fillmore had this to say, My fellow citizens, it is no time for any man to shrink from the responsibility which events have cast upon him. We have reached a crisis when no man has a right to stand neutral. Civil war has been inaugurated, and we must meet it. Our Constitution is in danger, and we must defend it. It is no time now to inquire by whose fault or folly this state of things has been produced. Let every man stand to his post, and let posterity find our skeleton and armor on the spot, where duty required us to stand. 1864, the, 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 devis- the horror and devastation of the Civil War was uh, unbelievable how much suffering the war caused. <clears throat> and Miller Fillmore had this to say in 1864, quote, three years of civil war have desolated the fairest portion of our land, loaded the country with an, an enormous debt that the sweat of millions yet unborn must be taxed to pay, arrayed brother against brother, father against son in mortal combat, deluged our country with fraternal blood, whitened our battlefield with the bones of the slain, and darkened the sky with the pall of mourning. When victory is won, let us show our magnanimity by winning back the deluded multitude who have been seduced into this rebellion, by extending to them every act of clemency and kindness in our power, and by restoring them all their rights under the Constitution. This I conceive to be Christian forgiveness and the best policy and the only one which can ever restore this union. That was a wonderful uh, statement. He was talking about after the war was over, is uh, um, welcoming back the South, the Confederacy, and uh, and being kind to them and uh, forgiving them for starting that war. That year he was... Uh, he, Millard Fillmore, and many, many others were getting fed up with the war, and uh, he, he denounced the war. And said it said, this is terrible what's going on. You know, it was just beyond human comprehension, all the suffering being inflicted. And he was not alone in his uh, criticism of the war at that time. The Buffalo commercial adv- advertiser called Millard Fillmore a copperhead, a northerner sympathizing with the Confederacy. Fillmore voted for the Democrat George McCle- McClellan, and, uh, who, who pledged to end the war if elected. He, he was not elected. And some people considered uh, Fillmore a traitor uh, because of his, the stand that he took. However, the war was won and the, the, the union was restored. And after the war, uh, Millard Fillmore resumed his role as the famous citizen of Buffalo. He was very busy with the Buffalo Historical Society the, and the University of Buffalo. He was a, a wonderful citizen, a good, very good citizen of Buffalo, and then he took another trip to Europe. 1865, Robert J. Rayback wrote, quote, What should an ex-president do as a private citizen? His last 18 years answered, Give his talents to the community. From 1856 onward, his handsome figure stalked Buffalo purposefully as he made his rounds from committee to committee in search of action to improve his city. Each year his hair grew whiter and his tread less resilient, but his enthusiasm never waned. A stubborn desire for accomplishment and its resulting glow of satisfaction kept him going. Robert J. Raybeck continued, quote, "'Few things were closer to his heart.' then the desire to see Buffalo prosper. In 1862, Buffalo became the third U.S. city, American city, to establish a permanent art museum, and Millard Fillmore was the driving force. Robert J. Rayback wrote, quote, Probably no other civic cause won his affection as thoroughly as the Buffalo Historical Society. For weeks at a time, it seemed to possess his life. Now, back in 1847, when he he had worked to establish the University of Buffalo, Millard Fillmore had this to say, Why should a father be compelled to send his son to some eastern village or distant city to, to give him a liberal education? Can it be that this proud queen city of the lakes, into whose lap is poured the commercial wealth of eight states, cannot maintain a single college? Are our crowded wharves and glutted warehouses mere mockeries of wealth? No, our numerous and costly temples for religious worship show what Buffalo can accomplish when its sympathies are enlisted in a good cause. In 1866, uh, Miller Fillmore welcomed visitors to him his home, including General William Tecumseh Sherman and President Andrew Johnson. 1874, February 13th, Millard Fillmore had a stroke while shaving. Two, Two weeks later, he had a second stroke, and on March 8th, he died. His funeral procession went from the mansion on Niagara Square down Delaware Avenue to Forest Lawn Cemetery, and an obelisk was erected at his grave. A generation later, a Millard Fillmore statue was erected at City Hall on Niagara Square. He died at March 8th at age 74 in, in Buffalo, and President Ulysses S. Grant gave a eulogy and said, quote, The long-continued and useful public service and eminent purity of character of the deceased ex-president will, re- will be remembered beyond the days of mourning, in which a nation will be thrown by the event which is thus announced. Reportedly, Millard Fillmore's last words were, quote, the nourishment is palatable after he'd been he was eating some some soup Again, he was buried in the forest lawn cemetery in buffalo miller Fillmore had this to say at one point quote god knows that i detest slavery but it, it is an existing evil for which we are not responsible, and we must endure it and give it such protection as is guaranteed by the Constitution till we can get rid of it without destroying the last hope for free government in the world. Millard Fillmore was a visionary. He, he, uh, he worked for the Transcontinental Railroad, which uh, Ab- President Abraham Lincoln began, he worked to open Japan to the outside world and trade with other countries, and that was accomplished under President Franklin Pierce. He worked for, the, uh, for, the US, uh, for, for Hawaii to become a part of the United States, and that happened under President William McKinley. And he also promoted a Central American canal, which was started under Theodore Roosevelt. He was very busy with his uh, civic affairs in bu- p- Buffalo, his, his, his uh, community service, in his retirement. And his favorite activity was, was working for the Buffalo Historical Society. He was a big Buffalo booster. He had this, dis- Miller Fillmore said this, quote, Buffalo is destined by its position to be what Alexandria and Venice were. Again, there's a pink granite obelisk at his grave, A small crowd of Millard Fillmore cultists, uh, supporters of Fillmore, gather at every year his grave on his birthday. This continues to, to the present time. One of his biographers, Richard Norton Smith, said that Millard Fillmore is, quote, best known for being one of the least known presidents. Now, the statue at City Hall, which uh, was uh, erected for him, Robert J. Rayback described it and wrote, quote, beneficently, it looked out over the community which he helped create and which shaped his destiny. Eloquently, Eloquently, it spoke out part of the story of his life. In its stony coldness, however, it could not reveal the warmth and wisdom with which he had defended the Union. For this For these uh, three talks, these three videos, I read three uh, biographies of Millard Fillmore, The Remarkable Life of Millard Fillmore by George Pendle, 2007, Millard Fillmore by Paul Finkelman, 2011, and Millard Fillmore, Biography of a President by Robert J. Rayback, 1959. Now, in conclusion, Millard Fillmore is is considered by most historians a failure, a weak president, and I couldn't disagree more with that uh, with that analysis. He was president at an impossible time in American history. If Abraham Lincoln had been president at, during that time, I don't think he could have done any better. It was, the country was headed towards civil war and nobody could have stopped could have stopped it uh, unless unless the abolitionist movement had backed off and maybe uh, and, and then eventually, slavery would have ended. At any rate, the war happened, and blaming Millard Fillmore for the war. Uh, he came from a very humble background uh, of, of 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 poverty, growing up, and it really achieved, uh, you know, the American dream. It was a very very well educated man through through self education, almost no formal schooling, no high school diploma, no college, but he became extremely knowledgeable. And nobody could have been a better citizen for Buffalo, New York. And then all the things he did for the country, the various things mentioned, the Transcontinental Railroad, opening Japan to trade, uh, the um, uh, other things including uh, promoting the Panama Canal. Now, the, uh, the thing that uh, he was blamed for, the signing into law, the Fugitive Slave Act, he did that to, to help preserve the Union. And ever since he's been blamed, well, I think that's just uh, that's uh, that's an opinion and a political opinion. Is, there's no reason for, for that to, to continue up till now. Political opinions are often expressed and then seem to become written in stone as fact when they're not fact. Millard Fillmore lived a very noble life of, uh, of achievement, good character, hard work, and na- national service to the United States, and community service to Buffalo, New York. God bless Millard Fillmore, a man who served his country well. Well, that concludes today's presentation. I hope you ha- have a good history book to read or find one. There's so many amazing history books that have been written. Uh, You might consider checking out our website, Adventures in History with Peter J. Ray at peterjray.com. So far, we've made 609 history videos in seven areas. World history, American history, book reviews, poetic tours, Cleveland baseball, family history, and autobiography. You also might consider checking out our podcast, Adventures in History. If you live in Metro Manila, Philippines, and are looking for a high school, you might consider Restless Educational Center in San Juan, Metro Manila. We help students who have had difficulty in the larger traditional high high schools. And the the website is restless.education. Thanks so much for watching. really appreciate it. God bless you. Take care. And And I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You might consider checking out past episodes, our podcast channel, and our website, Adventures in History with Peter J. Ray at peterjray.com. If you like what you're hearing, you might consider sharing it with friends. It helps a lot. Thanks again for listening. I really appreciate it. God bless you. Take care, and I'll see you next time.